Is this what Easter Sunday is about? I really hope not. I really hope Easter Sunday is not about egg hunts, family dress-ups, and candy. I hear that amen. I hear it, right? I'm, if I'm honest, though, I do think we want our culture to explain Easter to us because it's easier. It's easier to, to hear that Easter Sunday is about family food and reflection, right? Like, it's so easy to hear that's what it's about. And you don't get a perfect family photo. We're lucky we can get everyone in the same picture. We're lucky we can get people to agree to wear what mommy has asked them to wear one or two days a year. We really don't ask our kids to wear anything except one or two days a year, maybe. I really hope Easter is not about dressing up and eggs. Really. I hope Resurrection Sunday is what we celebrate. I really do. I know we've got plans. I really do. I know we have plans. We have plans. And it's exhausting to think about the plans that are coming up. Some of you are thinking about the food that you have preparing in a crock pot, hoping, or an Instapot, that it doesn't destroy it, right? Like, you're hoping when you open it up, everything happened like it was supposed to, right? But I hope that's not all today is about. Because Paul said that if Jesus hasn't been raised, then our faith is worthless, your faith is worthless, and we're the most to be pitied over all the people on the earth. So I really hope today is not about eggs, food, and reflection. I hope it is about the resurrected Christ, the empty tomb, and why that tomb is empty. I really have no new revolutionary Easter message. It's revolutionary, believe me, but it is not new. That the tomb is empty. And if it's empty, then what does that mean for you and for me? Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking? among the dead for someone who is alive. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would again rise on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Let's pray. Father, I ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to the power of the resurrection. And Lord, we do have much to look forward to and family and eating together and, and reflections of your future kingdom in the time that we spend 
But Lord, may we never whittle this day down to eggs and the perfect egg hunt and the perfect family picture and the the perfect uh, Instagram or the perfect, perfect, whatever, because we are not perfect. You are. And I pray that the empty tomb would relieve that pressure of being perfect. And I pray that today as we gather that we would leave this room having stooped, as Peter did, looking into an empty tomb and walking away wondering what had happened. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. That day in Jerusalem, the argument was not um, really a big argument. In fact, it was well known that the tomb was empty. As word began to spread, people were beginning to check things out. Jesus was very publicly crucified. Um, People knew, crowds watched, historians recorded. We have outside Christian sources, Jewish historians, uh, Roman historians, Tacitus, Suetonius, uh, Josephus, all of these historians writing down that Christ, in fact, was crucified. So to deny that is just to deny good history. Everyone saw that Jesus died, but there was something that began to happen on that third day, and that was there was an agreement going around that the tomb was empty. People were starting to show up. It would have been very social media drawn attention. There would be selfies in front of the empty tomb. There would have been people standing around, looked like taking pictures of where Jesus, hashtag he gone. I mean, all of the conversation that we love would have been happening at the empty tomb. The argument that day wasn't, is the tomb empty? The argument was, how is this tomb empty? There were a lot of theories. You know, um, honestly, the Jewish leaders had one, that the disciples stole the body. I mean, just think about this practically for just a few moments, if you will. We're, we're saying that these men who were hidden behind locked doors, afraid of their shadows, thinking that they would be the next to die, fearful of everything, could somehow become this crack squad Ocean's Eleven extraction team. Let's just think about that for just a second. To be able to, in their fearful cowardice, overpower Roman centurions, time it just right, Tom Cruise, rope lowered down, hovering over the security system. All right, we're going to do this. We're going to get Jesus' body out of here. We got this. And somehow, they would steal this body and then pull off the greatest Weekend at Bernie's moment among 515 different eyewitnesses convincing them that somehow Jesus was alive as they tied Jesus' hands and his feet and they did that thing where they walked around like this and, and they were waving and Jesus' hand would wave and they put sunglasses on Jesus' head and they'd lift it. You're, you're, you see, what? How in the world would this gain any traction? Not to mention the disciples would have knowingly died for a lie. Friends, when you're part of a team and you all commit to this team, when the water gets hot and your family begins to suffer, you see your friends beginning to suffer for this resurrected Christ, someone says, please, don't hurt my family. Jesus' body is over there. 
to suggest that the disciples stole the body is a possibility. You can walk out of here thinking, yeah, they probably stole the body. But you would be settling for less. You would be looking at lesser evidence and being satisfied and walk away because it may not be what you want to hear. Now, the Romans and the Jewish officials, it was said that maybe they stole the body. Friends, when Jesus was very publicly crucified, faith began to come out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place that faith in Jesus started, like this resurrected Christ. And you know, if you're a Roman official or a Jewish official, and you see traction begin to grow among these Christ followers who are claiming that Jesus is Lord, there was no benefit to claim Jesus is Lord. You didn't get any earthly fortune or fame. You'd actually brought on suffering. But because of the name of Jesus, this name was spreading. If you're a Roman official or a Jewish official and you hold on to the body, you wait till everyone starts thinking that Jesus is alive and you go, ta-da, here's his body. You believe a lie, right? Like you want to squash a rebellion, you present the leader of that rebellion dead to the followers. There were many opinions that day, but all of them agreed the tomb is empty. The argument was how was that tomb empty? There was actually a theory that began to gain traction, the swoon theory, and that is that somehow Jesus survived. Now, to walk out believing this, you would have to deny Jesus taking 39 lashes. Now, these lashes were not just with a whip like Indiana Jones used. Romans knew something about how to kill a human being. Not just how to kill them, but how to slowly kill them. How to make them feel as much pain as possible before they took their last breath. So we're talking about lashes that involved bone pieces, rock pieces, glass pieces pressed into the whip. So not only does it hit your back, but it rips when you pull back. And the reason it was 39 lashes is because the Romans were so good at killing people that they actually knew 40 might mean death. And if we want this guy to make it all the way through every piece of our torturous event, we can only do 39. So not to mention the blood loss and the exhaustion of having to carry his own cross, not to mention that he had to lay down and have nails placed in his hands and in his feet, and not to mention that most people in crucifixion died because of asphyxiation, like they couldn't breathe, because as they would lift themselves up on the cross, they would not be able to get oxygen, and as their legs were giving out, they would suffocate to death on the cross. Not to mention that a Roman soldier took a spear and took that metal tip and pierced it through Jesus' flesh into what many doctors would suggest is the pericardial sac. It's where this, this fluid and this lubrication helps the heart work the way it does. And so when you read the, New Go the Gospel Testaments, it talks about water and blood coming out of the same wound, possibly even puncturing his lung. Not to mention... That when Romans wanted to hurry things up, they'd break the legs of those on the cross. But when they came to Jesus, the Roman centurion who knew how to make someone die, saw that Jesus was already dead and they did not have to break his bones. 
Not to mention that he would have to sit in a tomb for three days, loss of blood, untreated medically, and then somehow remove the stone and sneak out past Roman centurions in then to appear to the disciples, I'm alive. Friends, there was an understanding that the tomb was empty that day. The debate was how. But then you have the testimony of the women. We don't know how to say this. We are freaked out and full of joy at the same time. Jesus is alive. Now, if you know history and you specifically know Jerusalem, Israel history around 33 AD, if you are in the business of perpetuating a lie and wanting to spread a false message just to gain earthly power, you would never have women at the tomb first. Do you know that a woman's testimony in court in Jerusalem in 33 AD was not even valid? So even if she saw the whole story, no one would take her seriously. You know what? If you're perpetuating a false story, say Peter showed up first. Say John showed up first. Say anyone showed up first. Just don't tell a story that involves women being the first ones there and women being the first gospel proclaimers and women being the first ones to tell the story of Jesus. Don't do that to yourself because no one will believe you. The beauty of the gospel is that it is true. And it's true regardless of how inconvenient it might have been to the truth tellers. This is how it happened. This morning, I am not only asking you to consider that the tomb is empty. I am begging you to consider the how and the why. You know, one of my greatest prayers for my children is not that my children would believe in me. You know, it's great if I show up and my kids are like, Dad, we acknowledge your existence. You're home, Father. Or if I do something and they're cheering me on, Dad, we believe in you. One of my greatest desires as a father is that my kids would believe me. I'm not so much concerned that they acknowledge my existence because I want them to acknowledge that when they say, hey, I'd love to jump off the roof of the house, and I say to them, guys, that is not a good idea. It will not end well for you. I want them to say, Father, we believe you. Like, I want my kids, when they come to me and say, Dad, we've been talking amongst ourselves, and we think Mountain Dew and Peeps is going to be what we, what we feast on for the next week or so. And I would love to be able to say to them, kids, that will do terrible things to your insides. And I want them to look at me and go, Father, we believe you. (laughs) And someday, when my teenage children come home and say that a teacher or a friend told them, it really doesn't matter what you believe in life. I want to be able to look them in the face and say, it matters greatly what you believe. Because what you believe determines how you will live your life. 
And if how you live your life is not built on something true, then it will go very poorly for you. And I want them to go, thank you for saving my life, Dad. My greatest desire for my children is not that they would believe in me. My greatest desire for my children is that they would believe me. Why is the tomb empty? Because God said it would be. Why is the tomb empty? Because Jesus said it would be. In Luke chapter 9, we have been in Luke this whole month. This is one of many times Jesus declared the tomb would be empty. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 21, Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man, which was the name Jesus called himself, must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. This is just one of many times the disciples had adventures in missing the point, missing it completely, not hearing what Jesus was actually saying. In three of the gospel accounts, we have the story where Jesus is in this house and he's teaching, and there's so many people around that no one else can get in. And so these brothers, these friends, whoever, they carry this sick man, this man who is paralyzed on a mat, and they lower him down right through the roof, right in front of Jesus. This man who clearly needs to be healed, Jesus looks at and says, My son, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus in his ways knows exactly what he's doing at this moment because it freaks people out, specifically the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They're like, how dare you? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, in very Jesus ways, looks at them and says, what's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or for me to tell this man to get up and walk? you're all in here going, it's pretty easy to say your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus says these words in Luke chapter 5, verse 24. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Friends, what's easier for Jesus to do? To say he's the Son of God or to raise from the dead. Anyone can say, I'm the son of God. Anyone can say, I can forgive sin. Anyone can do these things. And it's well understood that many people try. The story of Jesus is not simply about the words he said, but the empty tomb makes all of these things come true. Jesus, when he was asked to prove that he had authority, he claimed to have by the Pharisees, he pointed to the empty tomb. In John chapter 2, he says, All right, Jesus replied, You want a sign? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed, It's been 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said his temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. The apostle Paul, who gives one of the greatest life pictures of the gospel and the resurrection being true, a man who, to make his point, killed Christians, becomes this man, to make his point, lays down his own life so that people would become followers of Jesus. 
Paul made it his goal to proclaim a resurrected Savior, that Jesus is the one sent by God. In Acts 17, he says it this way. He explained the prophecies from the Old Testament that announced what the rescuer would look like. Jesus is that man. But what he continues to say, he explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. In his letter to the Roman Christians, he said, and he, Jesus, was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you truly think about it, Jesus simply dying on the cross would not prove that he is God. See, worse than that, all of his words, all of his forgiveness, his hope, his mercy, his promise of eternity are meaningless if there is no resurrection. I've often wondered that if in that room when the disciples were cowering behind locked doors, if they ever looked at each other and they were like, so that, you know, when Jesus said we're good, like, like our sins are forgiven, is that still good? Like, is that whole statement that he made about us being right with God? Like, because if it's not, I need a whole new life plan. Is that thing that Jesus said about eternity, like him preparing a place for us and, and us being with him someday, is that still good? Because if it's not, I'm going to need to change some things. We celebrate the resurrection not just because Jesus is alive. We celebrate the resurrection because of all that Jesus being alive actually means. It means everything he has said is true. And it can be believed. His claims. Guys, Jesus didn't give us the, the, the option to say he's a pretty good teacher. In fact, if you're walking by, he's a pretty good teacher, I want you to investigate what Jesus actually said about himself. A pretty good teacher does not say he's God. A pretty good teacher does not say that belief in him alone brings one to eternal life. Jesus doesn't really give us the option. And I know it's easier for us to go, well, Jesus is just in line with all the other teachers. No, he's not. He's either who he says he is or he's completely insane and you and I need to close up shop and go home. But if the resurrection is true, the tomb is empty, then his identity is secure. His statements about truth, about what will bring you life and what will bring you death, they also show themselves to be true. And my goodness, his promises, if the tomb is empty, the promises that he has made us they also find themselves true. It is finished. It was shouted from the cross. This statement is not too good to be true. It is finished is everything. No more struggling to perform or to, to make myself look better than I can, to, to carry a weight of perfection. No more ideas of performing this song and dance before the Lord so that he might accept me. No more performing or carrying the burdens of my sin and trying to work it off. All of that is over because the tomb is empty. Anybody can yell from a cross, it's finished. But when you walk out of an empty tomb alive, 
everything. If Jesus says that we are who he says we are, is true if that tomb is empty. For those of you that don't know, Mary Magdalene had a very shady past. Very. Who may have been seen as a throwaway prostitute in society. Jesus said, you are a daughter of the king. The empty tomb, she can stand secure in that. Peter, overconfident and cowardice. Jesus looks at Peter and says, I'm going to build my church on you. Peter can walk going, if Jesus is alive, I can walk with that. The rest of the disciples cowering in fear, seeing the resurrected Jesus. You and I are here telling the story of Jesus because they did not fail. Thomas, often known as Doubting Thomas. Yes, he did doubt. Yes, he did say, I'd like to see Jesus for myself, but he's just doing what you and I do all the time. But when Jesus satisfied that longing, Thomas makes the greatest divine declaration of Jesus, my Lord and my God, and dies a martyr's death. Paul, who I told you before was one who, to make his point, killed Christians, saw the resurrected Jesus and became a man who would lay his life down so people would know this Jesus. The resurrected Jesus matters. The tomb being empty matters. And I hear people carelessly say in the church that even if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, it's not going to affect my faith. That is garbage. It should affect your faith. It should cause you to go eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. I know that sounds extreme and you're saying, well, we should all just be good people. Why? Why? Who are you to tell me to be good? Who are you to tell me to do the right thing all the time? If Jesus isn't resurrected, I can do whatever the heck I want. But if he is, I don't want to do whatever the heck I want. If he is resurrected, then he knows what brings me to life. And he knows what actually causes death in me. The resurrection matters. The resurrection, the empty tomb, it is where we find our new life when you are fed up with walking into tombs that are full of dead bones, things that are not satisfying, things that are leaving you empty as you hoped, maybe this tomb will give me what I want, and you find your dead bones, the idols of the things that are not satisfying, you find them in the tomb. See, friends, the empty tomb is really the only thing that can fill an empty life. It works so opposite of the way the world does. We keep visiting all of these promises. When I went last week, I got to go see Kansas State and Kentucky play in the uh, tournament. My mom fell into some friends' tickets who had picked Virginia to go all the way. They were from Virginia, and they got rid of their tickets because Virginia lost in the first round. <laughs> Sorry about that, but I'm glad you lost, so I got to go to the games. Um, when we were in that stadium, it was all blue. And if you know Kentucky basketball, it is life. Like, when Kentucky fans talk, it's our team, our championship, our players. I mean, these are people who have no connection to the University of Kentucky at all, but they wear the blue, and it's their team. It was very clear that it was a Kentucky home game in Atlanta. There was a strip of purple. 
Kansas State. But as the game went further into time, it was very clear Kentucky was not going to win this game. And I wish I had taken a video of it because as Kentucky was fighting to try and come back, as they did, they, had, they went on a run. Every time Kentucky shot a three-point basket, the entire stadium went, <gasps> And as their hopes were getting farther and farther out of reach, you could see the desperation. We do this every day. With everything we hope that will bring us to life, we take in that big breath, and we exhale in disappointment. Because we thought, right? We thought. We do this every day. And that empty tomb allows you and I to inhale, whether it be from fear, whether it be from excitement. And just as those women ran out of that tomb, fear and joy starting to work in some strange way that this could all be true. I would have loved to have been somehow in the presence of God when those women were about to walk into that tomb for the very first time. I would have loved to have seen God's face when he was like grabbing hold of angels. He's like, this is the moment. This is it. This thing is about to go worldwide. This message is going to go viral. What's viral, God? Don't worry. The kids are going to love it someday. They're going to waste their lives with viral things. But this is really going to go viral. And they, they need to know this. And friends, if the plan has always been that Jesus would release the captives, he would set the prisoners free. If the plan was always that to happen and it could not be worked off by those in the shackles, the empty tomb only makes sense of all of Scripture. It's the only answer. Romans chapter 10 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Band, if you guys are ready, you can come. I want you to know that this confession and this belief is not a Facebook status. It is not simply saying, I'm willing to post in the name of the Lord. This confession and this belief is not just saying, I believe in God. The scriptures say, even the demons, they know that he's there. They're willing to acknowledge his existence. Actually, they acknowledge his existence more than some of us do. This confession and this belief is that I believe you, God I believe what you say about Jesus. Jesus, I believe what you say about my life. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Though I have questions, though I wrestle with those things, I am telling you that my confession and my belief is anchored in what Jesus has said. I got a long way to go. I don't know everything. I don't understand all things. But Jesus, what I can get around is I believe you. Not just believing in. To those of you who are here today, Seeking, wondering, 
even if your arms are crossed, I'm asking you to consider looking inside the tomb. I know you might be afraid of what it means to find it empty. I know that you may be afraid to look in the tomb because it just might be true. Because that has everything to do with what I thought, what I want, and what I think. But if Jesus is truly alive, then it changes everything. And if Jesus is the one who says that the empty tomb is the life that you actually need, then it's worth looking into. In the scriptures, there were those who mocked, there were those who asked more questions, and then there were those who believed. To those of you who are here today already convinced that the tomb is empty, I need you to remember that you didn't walk into that empty tomb. See that it was empty. And that stone was not rolled back in front of you, trapping you in some kind of death tomb. The way I hear people talk about their life of faith is, well, I have all this stuff, I got all these great things, I did all this stuff, and I gave it all up for Jesus. It's like somehow God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are hiding in the bushes waiting for someone to go check in the empty tomb, and they're like, get them! Trap them in there! Their life's going to be terrible from here on out! Some of y'all have forgotten that those women sprinted out of that tomb like, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid, but I'm so excited at the same time. Oh my goodness, this is creepy and this is amazing. And they ran out full of fear and full of wonder and full of joy that this story is true. Do not forget there was joy because Jesus was alive. As we take this meal, uh, every week we take communion together, and there's going to be some folks around the room with the plates of uh, bread and some juice. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says it this way. He says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So when we're announcing his death, we are simultaneously announcing that he is raised because we're saying he is going to return. That's why we take this bread and we take this juice. And for those of you that may be visiting or may be new or, or questions, we don't take this bread because somehow it saves us or makes us better or makes us more holy because that's never been the plan. The plan has always been Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Him walking out of that tomb has purchased our freedom. When we take this bread and this juice, we're agreeing with God. We're saying, God, you're right. <laughs> and we can't save ourselves. So thank you for doing it for me. If you're still one of those people who's like, I just don't know, I'm not sure. You don't have to take this meal. But maybe this morning God has stirred you to go out. I think, I think the story is true. Then we want to, A, invite you to take this meal with us. But B, I want to ask you to consider, the scriptures say that when we believe, we move towards baptism. Just it, believe and be baptized. If you're journeying and you're saying, I think that's my next step, I want to declare that he's made me new. I've died to this life, and he's mine, and I'm his, and I'm in this thing. I'm in it. It's by faith, the gift. Maybe that's your next step. I don't know. But I am asking you to leave here wondering why the tomb is empty. Father, we love you, and I ask 
that as we finish our time together this morning, remembering the physical body, the physical blood taken by this bread and by this juice, that you would remind us that it is finished and that empty tube proves that it is. Anyone can say it's finished. Not anyone can walk out of a tomb once dead, now alive. That is the same image for us. Once dead, now alive. It's in your name we pray.